0: Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. I'm starting in kind of a random place, but bear with me. I, I have a point. Just in the world of getting to know me, something you should know, I love the night sky. I love it my parents live on a lake in northern Michigan. And maybe you haven't seen what the night sky really looks like lately because you live in Chicago. But we have this thing that we do when we go visit in the summer. They've got this long dock and there's not a ton of ambient light there, right? And so we walk out onto this dock and they've got two of those chaises, And we'll go out there sometimes with like blankets if it's cold and we'll like flip them back flat. You know what I mean? When you do that in a chaise, you got to kind of visualize it. And you flip it back flat and you're laying there. And it's like, you can't, see any land and you're just up and you feel like you're in the sky. Have you guys ever had a chance to do something like that where you can't even see the horizon? And because there's no ambient light around, you can see so many stars. We've seen the Milky Way, I've seen the Northern Lights from there twice in my life. It's just stunning, it's so beautiful. And sometimes we argue on whether something's a satellite or a spaceship and we count the shooting stars and you just feel like you're floating up in the sky. I love the night sky. But I also recognize that I actually don't like darkness itself. A few years ago, we went on a cave tour. If you've ever done that, do it. And you get down in the cave, and I'm kind of freaked out. I'm not claustrophobic, but maybe I am. And I got down in there deep, and then at one moment, they tell you, everything's okay, but we're going to turn out the light so you know what true darkness is like. And they turn off all the lights and you're on a fully interior cave and they say, put your hand in front of your face and you go like this. And there's this creepy feeling that you sense something's there, but with eyes wide open, you cannot see any hint of a hand. That's true darkness. I don't love darkness. I love the night sky. And I realize that the reason I love the night sky so much is that it's one of the most stark, beautiful images in nature of inbreaking of light. That's what's happening with the stars or with the moon. When you come around a corner and there's one day, a huge harvest moon that's like red. And another day, it's like this little whisper, like a little infant fingernail clipping, just glowing there and little sliver in the sky. And you're like, what is this thing reflecting this light? That's why I love the night sky. So to be honest with you, when I read in the book of Revelation of our someday fullness, heaven uh, coming in in this fullness. And they say in Revelation 22, five, there will be no more night because God will be there and God will be the light. I'm kind of like, well, that's a bummer. But then I remember, we can't read the images of Revelation 2 literally because we get in all kinds of trouble. We'll talk about that in a few series from now. But whatever's gonna happen, I'm sure it's gonna be glorious and the imagery is still gonna be there. The language of lightness and darkness, including in Revelation, it's all over scripture. It's an image meant to conjure something up in us. That's why I start with just painting a picture of light and dark. Let's go back to the beginning, Genesis 1, first verse in your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. God saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So right from the beginning, we are using the imagery of light and darkness to create rhythms of life that we need to be sustained, right? It's beauty in both the day and the night. But we're setting up this concept of this being a really important image for separateness between lightness and darkness and the powerfulness of this imagery in my mind is that it's almost sensory to us right we experience light and it's so so light and dark and we stub our toe and we experience the Um, the feelings of lightness and darkness. So it's a beautiful metaphor for like illumination, our ability to see or not. And I would submit to you guys that the people in the ancient Near East, where uh, these ancient texts are coming from, they would have felt this so much deeper than us, because they're pre-electric light. And when the sun goes down and it's the middle of the night, if it's cloudy and you don't have some other source of light, you need a torch or a candle or something or it is as black as can be. And so you live by the rhythms of lightness and darkness. You would feel it, I think, more than we do. So I want us, as we talk through this passage, I want you to allow yourself to kind of get into the feeling of light and dark, maybe an experience that you have beyond a concept. We're gonna let this imagery be felt in our bodies a bit. The Apostle John uses this imagery a lot as well. He's kind of the poet of the gospel writers. He uses uh, the imagery of lightness breaking into darkness. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So let's pray. Jesus, light of this world, help us to see this passage that can look a lot like instructions and see instead your invitation. Help us to see you as a source of illumination and light, source of life in this world. Um, Just give us ears to hear what you have for us uh, this morning, whatever that may be. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So today we are remaining in the second part of Paul's letter, teaching the Ephesians, and we've gotten from the part that transitions from the first series, the one we had before Lent, which was all about that identity fire hose. Here's God's plan. Here's what God is doing in Christ. You're in Christ. You are set free. You have the spirit. It was just, remember, like, good news, good news. Here's the whole identity of who you now are because of what God has done, accomplished in Christ. Holy Spirit is a deposit, it's like Trinity language on fire like the good kind of fire it's so beautiful and from that place Paul is reminding the believers the people who have now come already to believe in the way of Jesus that's who's being addressed in this in this message he comes to remind them that now Christ positionally is seated at the right hand of God the Father and we now are seated in Christ and what we talked about is hearing that as participatory language given our current position because of all that God has done it's a deluge of delight chapters one through three but now we transition in in the second part of this book paul starts to unpack what that means now as we walk into this salvation story because we stand in that truth but now we also are going to walk into that truth in specific ways if we don't start with part one as our foundation this whole portion can sound a lot like behavior modification and good girl and boy checklists and bad girl and boy checklists, right? It can sound that way. The church history is full of that tension and that wrestle of the relationship between faith and works, right? We're saved by grace alone, but it will impact how we live out our lives. We're not saved by how we live out our lives. I can't do the whole thing here, but here's what I'm gonna do. We're just gonna start in today and then we're gonna hope it all makes sense. So we're starting in chapter five, verse one, which is in page four, I'm sorry, 949 on your pew Bibles. If you wanna read along, um, because once it's not on the screen, if it helps you to still see it. Okay, starting in verse five, one. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, let's just start right there. The first thing we notice as we're learning on reading our Bible is we have a keyword here. Did anybody spot it? Therefore, we gotta stop whenever there's a therefore and go back just a hot second to remember what we're building off of so we don't just take any piece of scripture in isolation. So the therefore, it's a continued thought of what we talked about last week. This is all one thought. I highly encourage you to listen to it online if you missed it. We're building on those thoughts. Sam did an excellent job preaching on the first part of what we're building on today. He pointed out the fact some renewal just happens and some is hard work it's a both and so to quote the great pastor and wise thinker sam tinken renewal is both effortless and hard work it is something done to us and something we work toward so he pointed out that sometimes that living it out that renewal including the work of it comes in abstinence. And sometimes it comes in engagement. Like what do we avoid? And what do we intentionally go towards? It's a both and. to continue to quote him, putting on the new self begins when our spirit joins with the Holy Spirit for the renewal of our minds. The key that unlocks this transformation process is the Holy Spirit. And we want to keep that up front so it doesn't just become behavior modification, behavior modification. Like we have access to the Holy Spirit to not only enlighten this, but to empower us towards it, right? The only way the Ephesians can live out. This new way of life is through the Holy Spirit's powerful renewal of their minds, but it requires their participation. And the same is true for you and me. Quote from Sam Tinken. So go back and listen to last week. If this faith and work thing is like a, is a struggle, I am going to assume that we got that part from uh, the teaching last week and from other times. So I'm not going to reteach his sermon, but Paul is continuing with the same thought in our passage this morning we are dearly loved children of God, all of chapters one through three, right? Since we are now rooted and established in this love, he says, walk in the way of this love. And now let's look at the things he chose to focus on here. This is the fun part of the passage. But among you, I'm just kidding when I say that. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now. I'm gonna offer a few observations on this portion of our text today, much of which I was finding very interesting in uh, the commentary by Lynn Kohick. So a lot of these thoughts were brought up either directly from her or as I was reading her comments on this portion. The first thing I wanna point out is this is, the, this is very important. If you, if, you, if you drown me out for a minute on some of the other vices, that's fine, but hear this part, it's really important. When Paul starts this place by saying, walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself. The first thing we have to remember as demonstrated on Christ giving himself as a sacrifice is that this love, this kind of love we're supposed to walk in is outward focused. It gives instead of takes. This love is self-giving, meaning it's not being forced upon you to give. It is of your own um, ability and free will to give it gives itself not for itself but for others you have to have that posture in starting out is what we're demonstrating is to live in love as christ did self-giving so for example some of the vices that she uh, that he has listed here take for example the no crude talking or whatever that whole part is uh no obscenity, foolish talk, of course, joking. Paul's teaching us, you guys are now equal members in a very not equal member kind of society where they lived, right? You guys are all equal members now. No one should make another believer the butt of a crude joke or take advantage of another as an object of their desires, right? This is like a don't, don't use each other. Don't, don't be crass to each other. Don't make fun of each other. Don't, uh, make someone the object of your desire for your consumption, right? That's what this list is talking about. In calling some of these things idolatry, it's really interesting because Paul is talking that the, this, uh oh sorry, slight pause, idolatry. An idol was a thing in the ancient Near East where there were were lots of gods. Nobody was doubting the existence of the divine, but how they believed or expressed or worshiped that was different. And one of the ways is that many of the gods in that culture, there'd be like little images of them, little statues, and that would be called an idol. And you would, um, you would worship that thing. And so one of the Big 10 of the top 10 commandments of God right away in establishing his people was no idols. You can't capture me in a thing, and we don't want to get confused and start worshiping things. So we don't usually struggle with like little statues being the thing that we were, but we want to be honest enough to say there are other things that capture the desire of our hearts even above our desire for God. And so when that's happening, we call that an idol. And it takes a lot of humility and honesty to identify that. That was like the little side. Definition. You just like read a footnote that I forgot that I was needing to say. Okay, idolatry. In calling these things, where are we? Uh, the disor- okay, so Paul is addressing that the root cause of alienation from God is the disordering of love, such that the self is privileged over God. Why would greed be idolatry? Because I'm, I'm uh, prioritizing love of money over my love of God. So that's that's what he's saying. Um, and on linking greed with sexual immorality, I think this is interesting too. Lynn points out that we in the West are not tempted with actual temples such as. the the huge one we talked about early on in um, Ephesus, but instead with internet pornography, for example, where we greedily consume others' bodies and create a virtual world of power and instant gratification. We desire objects made of silver and gold and pixels. This is where we have to open up our mind on what might be an idol so that we can be honest enough to say, I want to lay that down because that's all about me using something or someone for me and what I want. Me, 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 me. So that's, that's what we're getting at. And we are to walk in love like Christ did, which is self-giving, not other consuming. Does that help make that list make sense? Because otherwise I feel like you can look at this and be like, that's an interesting list of things to link together. But it actually makes a lot of sense when you're talking about self-giving love. Now, I am not going to do a long talk on sexual morality. Um, Not only because the MD kids are in the room today, but that is one of the reasons. But this doesn't feel like the place for that talk. Here's what I wanna say just really quickly. We believe that God's design for that kind of intimacy is meant to be within the safety and self-giving lifelong commitment of Christian marriage. And so you are in all aspects of your life, self-sacrificing willingly, not being forced by somebody else to submit, but willingly towards the other, other, and in all places including in your um, intimate life that that is where you are in a self-giving space of mutual love. So if you were raised in purity culture, I was not exactly I was like purity culture adjacent so I've learned back exactly how deep that is and I have seen the damage done about what healthy intimacy looks like, um, I will buy the coffee, we can talk, and we will do that conversation somewhere else just for the um, relief of the parents, hopefully. But um, I just want you to know that that's what we're talking about is keeping this pure. And in that culture, the, uh, there was it, the, that whole topic was very freely recreational very freely recreational. I once heard it said that um, that kind of intimacy within marriage, not in the Jewish culture, by the way, not in Jewish culture. In that culture, that kind of intimacy within marriage was for procreation and everywhere else was with, for recreation. And by the way, that included your ability to use slaves for your own, they didn't have a say. So we're talking about a, a culture where that was prevalent and it was, it was a form of greed, in my opinion. So, okay, I'm going to stop talking about that now. Um, Notice this as well. Paul does not ask the church to separate out of the society in which she is placed, but to walk in love such that the wider society would be attracted to the group of beloved children of God. That's what we're saying. We're like, share that light, right? That illumination in the dark places. So here's where we come to the lightness and darkness language. For you were once in darkness, but now, I'm sorry not in, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world and the Lord live as children of light for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness of truth and find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them shine that light. It doesn't say that in the text. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So here we get to that illuminating imagery of having access to this light, living in light when you previously were experiencing darkness. You didn't see or know about God's goodness in Christ that we talked about previously in the letter. So that's what the darkness is in this imagery. Like you didn't know, you didn't know this stuff. Now you do. Walk in children who now have this illuminating light. Walk that out in love. It's just a really silly analogy, um, but... There's a time of day in our house. The back of our house is our, um, you walk into our our kitchen and dining room. It's like one thing and the porch is out back. And there's this, is, that's west facing. And there's a certain time of day when the sun just glows in right before it, sets behind the building i don 't actually know what happens when the sun sets, but it sets, it goes behind the building i can 't see it anymore right before that it comes just straight in to the kitchen and everything like lights up and it 's really a beautiful shade of light that time of day. you know what I mean but here 's the thing that happens. So, Sometimes I'll be walking down the hall towards that side and the sun hits like that. And all of a sudden, everything had looked fine before. And I'll realize our floor is 100% covered in dust and dog and cat hair. Like, Like I am literally walking on a carpet of nasty. And I literally didn't know 10 minutes ago, I couldn't see, but the light comes in just away. And it's like that. It's like, I can't pretend it's not there. Now I saw it, the light came in and I can't be like, no, it's not there. I'm walking on it. I know it now so anyway that's kind of the imagery i got i really played a lot with the imagery of lightness and dark this week you're gonna hear a few others sorry i don't know not sorry paul wants believers to be the source of that light to others so that they too might come into the light into christ into that love of god two things to notice here it isn't that they are superior to others paul makes sure to start off with like uh you were there stay humble don't forget Right? So it's not about being superior to those living in darkness. That's like an us and them mentality. If anyone ever grew up with Dr. Seuss, the sneeches on the beaches, okay, no, let's skip it. No one, not only like three of us know. Okay, Caitlin knows, she's got it. It's not about an us and them and who is better than the other, not the sneeches on the beaches. So it's not about being support, superior and it isn't stay away from them. Those in the darkness who don't yet know the light of the world don't let know. So, but yeah, don't go back to the darkness. Don't pretend the pet hair isn't there. You know it. You're not gonna like roll on the ground right now and pretend it's not covered in hair. You have a nightlight. No need to stub your toe every time you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night anymore. You have access to illumination. So instead, live in love as children of light in such a way that the light overcomes the darkness. Another way that I was seeing this this week. So in a dark bedroom, when you wake up, and someone's outside in the hall and they turn on the light, but the door is still shut, right? We have some pretty good blackout blinds. They're not amazing, but like it helps. And when you open that door from the lit hallway to the dark bedroom, what happens? Does the darkness seep out to the hallway? No, the hallway stays completely illuminated and the light comes into the dark bedroom that had been dark before. So that's that imagery, like uh, it overcomes darkness goes that way. This reminds me of John's word, the light overcomes the darkness. It reminds me of Easter Sunday and an empty cave where the light overcame everything that darkness could give it. We know this and now we live in that truth. Walking this way, little beacons of light breaking into dark spaces and sharing that light. It's the opposite of the greed that Paul was opposing this to, right? So we now see it's an antithesis to share that out versus to consume and take for self. So moving on in our passage today, this is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. We actually don't know what he's quoting. He put it in quotes, or I don't know, do the Greeks put it in quotes? I don't know if you do, never mind. Pretend I didn't say that last piece, I don't know. Um, But he's quoting it, that's why it's said. And we don't know, it's not in scripture. So it looks from the language here, it's probably like a prayer or a hymn of celebration, maybe of resurrection of Jesus or of baptism. That's the language we have. But in any case, this was known in their community. Maybe it's song lyrics, so. But the language fits so beautifully with the illumination language of lightness and darkness wake up come into the light let christ shine on you paul uses similar imagery to this wake, wakefulness and light and dark in first thessalonians 5 4 to 8 so i share this so you can get the same the same imagery that he talks about elsewhere but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief the day when when christ returns you are all children of the light and children of the day we do not belong to the night or to the darkness so then let not let us not be like those who are asleep but let us be awake and sober for those who sleep sleep at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night but since we belong to the day let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet this is a cry wake up be alert live in your light i clearly felt myself very swept up into the imagery this week. And I had a couple of different times when it really did um, stir my heart in very specific ways. And as I was getting ready to um, put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard, um, I was like, which, which way, Lord, which way am I supposed to, to end? And I decided, you know what? We're going to do a both end. They're brief. So don't worry. But I think we're just gonna do both. One is inward, one is outward. Both were stirred in me. And I'm gonna ask you to stop from information getting most for just a second, wiggle if you need, and just say like, what might there be for me in getting stirred. I'm not saying that these are like exceptional stories or anything, but we're just now going, I had a week to do this, to look at all the light and dark things and to think it out and to feel it. So now just see, does anything stir for you in this imagery as you really allow yourself the creativity of language in scripture is so beautiful, right? Like get swept in and see what might be in these Melissa's silly things, but that, that might also be for me, as you can hold on to it and ponder it and take into your week and look for those little light in breaking moments in your own creative imagination. Side note, when we do that, when we allow this creative language to sweep in like that, we actually are doing something formative because then all of a sudden, every time you see the blank, you are stirred in your heart just a little bit towards something that God is doing. So anyway, live into the imagery. Here's my two things. Somewhat quickly. I was not in gear on Wednesday. I don't know how else to say it. Like, I just, I was not hitting into the next gear at all. I was just really stuck. I had a long list, and here's my confession to you. Sometimes, for all of my life, I procrastinate. I wait until the last minute, and I always get it done. I think maybe not always. Andy not always. Okay. But I usually get it done, but I sometimes procrastinate and I know it's happening when my list is really long and I know everything I have to do and I am perfectly capable to do all of it. And instead I do something else. That was me on Wednesday. So I was super stuck and um, I felt asleep. I'm like, was frustrated. I'm like, why can't I kick it into gear? What is going on with me? And so that I was feeling that asleep language. And I went to the Missio Day worship night. It was hosted in Humble Park where one of five congregations. I went into that evening, um, honestly, not because I wanted to fix that I wasn't in gear. It was because I felt an obligation to go. I was in no mood and I did it anyway. That's just me being honest to you. I'm so glad I went, but I was not, I was not in the mood. Here I go, I'm gonna go. And we started singing and the lyrics came to me, knowing I was feeling that asleep numb num- thing, right? Spirit, I'm not gonna sing, <laughs> (laughs) Okay. Spirit of the living God, come fall afresh on me. Come wake me from my sleep. I was like, oh, yeah, please. Blow through the caverns of my soul. I'd been thinking about that cave imagery already, right? So I'm sitting there in the cave, like, yes, do it. Pour in me to overflow. So I was feeling like, yeah, okay, I need it to be here. I need to wake up. I need this stirring to happen. Then we start singing another song. Awaken my soul, come awake. And I was like, all right, I get it. (laughs) How thematic are we going to be? Okay, but I was singing. And as we sang, I realized I had to ask the Lord to pour his light into the deeper places of me to see what was behind that procrastination, what was going on behind that state of my heart. I can't just stay in sleepy mode. I don't even wanna be in sleepy mode. And I was bugged and frustrated with myself. So I started to pray Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a brave prayer. I was feeling pretty brave, apparently, because I prayed it, but it's a safe prayer. You're asking for it, but as children of light, we can receive conviction as love. And it's a really beautiful thing. I basically sat there in that pew in Humboldt Park and I said, expose the ugly, show me the pet hair. I need to know, I wanna know so I can address it with you, Holy Spirit, empowering me, helping me for healing. I should have brought my journal page from that night because every time I'd pick it up, I'd start at a different angle, it's not linear I don't know. I'll show you next week, maybe. It's a hot mess of things that I was thinking and hearing and and frustrating, let out, all of that. But I wanted to know, and so I let it out. The alternative was to stay numb, to stay sleepy. And here's the reassurance. If you are brave to pray that prayer, you have to start in the beginning of that same Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. So, for me on Wednesday night, God revealed I was operating out of not too lovely motivations. I'm not gonna go down that path far. I'm happy to share the truth with you guys. I'll be real, it's fine, but I don't want this to make this out of me. Uh, make this about me, but I needed to look at those not so lovely heart motivations in order to ask how they had snuck in. What was going on deeper to make these not so lovely things go on? What was happening? And I, again, I don't want to make it about me. I want to make it a celebration of the ability to be honest. And when the light came in and my, my soul was ready to be awakened, I could say, well, that's not lovely. And now let's go there with God in safety. Because the conviction of the Holy Spirit looks like love. Love and tenderness, it may look like a harsh honesty, but it does not come across as shame. That is a trick of the enemy and we speak and pray against it in the name of Jesus. It's healing and restoration and love so that you can get back to the fullness of the love and light that we are enabled and invited to walk into. So that's number one. Um, Number two, this is the outward one. I just had another note, but I don't, I don't, I can't read it. Um, The number two is the outward one. And this was something that birthed out of the conference that Sam and I went to this last week for a couple of days. This is a reminder, you guys, that you are sharers of light. You are sharers. It is an outward thing. We went to this conference and it's designed for people who are in ministry context or like lots of pastors are there, but a lot of other people in ministry context who have a real heart for tackling tough conversations and for the church to get real about a whole list of things that are kind of tense to talk about. You know, things like gender in the church and uh, uh, Christian nationalism and injustice, uh, racial... uh, Uh, harm that we've done, the development of white supremacy and the church's role in it. Like this list was that kind of list where you're like, Yep, we're going to go there. But you're surrounded by people who feel passionately as well about having oh, power abuse, including in the church, financial abuse, sexual abuse, all these things. We're just, we're talking about all of it. We're hearing experience of diverse voices. It's super powerful. It was a lot. But the imagery that got to me was, first of all, it was really great to be in a space with other people who fully and passionately believe that the church can be a better living witness to the way of jesus than some of the stuff that we see in the forefront of the news we are passionate about it but we were you know like a donut this building that we were in it was like a warehouse shaped as a big o and we were in the center of it there was not a window there was there was it was there was no light. There was no natural light. Now they've made it beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but um, I felt so insular. So it's a great layout because all around, all the offices and the children's ministries and the other spaces all have the windows. But when you go into the sanctuary, it's like an inner room and it's painted black and they've done really like hip lighting. And, but I did sit there and think like, there are all these live plants in there that make it lovely, but like, is it someone's job to wheel them out to a window every week? Like, how are these even alive? But you, the feeling, that I got was like, this is all great. This is rich. We are surrounded with some of the most passionate influencers influential voices of justice and love for the church in this season of the church in our space, like America, it was mainly Americans, but from all over America, we were in this and it was so rich and good, but I was like, but we're all here and it felt so insular. And then I got stuck in a traffic jam leaving the parking lot and I was like, yes, because we were all going out. And I was like, this is what needs to happen for this insular conversation to do a lick of good in the life of the church or in the life of the world around us. It has to go out. And I sat in that traffic jam for a really long time. Actually, I was a little bogged. I almost cut through Jewel, but I was like, no, this is good for me. And I was like sitting there thinking, look at, we're all going out to our churches, literally around the nation with a different story than some of the things that the world has associated with the capital C church before. And that felt like really good news. And I went out and I met Andy and we sat with a couple that we've just recently met in our neighborhood. And he said, how was your conference and the first thing I just wanted to warn him I was was good you know you know I'm a pastor and he's like yeah no I know I'm an atheist I'm like all right we're good and he's like but what do you guys do there and I just told him that whole list of stuff and he sat back and he was like I'm really glad you guys are talking about that I don't I don't think I grew up in a denomination that doesn't need to have his opinion voiced but um I grew up in a denomination and I don't think that was being talked about. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't, he didn't come to Jesus right then. I'm like, I'm not saying this was some great story. It's just saying, what does it look like to say, I am the light. I reflect the light of Jesus. I'm walking in that love and I wanna go to whatever space is opened up and just say there's a different story out there. There is a different story and I'll just tell you my piece of it. So those are the two things I wanted to share about I'm going to pray, God, I thank you for these opportunities to worship, to dive into story and imagery, um, and just to feel in our bodies that sense of um, what it feels like to sit in the warmth of the sun and soak up um, just meditation on uh, the illumination of your light and um, how the darkness Cannot overcome it. So I pray that these pictures would go with us into our embodied experience throughout this week. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, will... Uh, Ignite little, oh, pun not intended. Ignite little um, feelings of flame where there was a word or a thought that might be for each of us to ponder. And God, I know that you can do that in each of us individually. I know you can do that for us as a community and that we share what you are stirring in our heart as we continue on through this letter to the Ephesians. So God, I trust you. We love you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in this place. We pray uh, protection over any lie as we look to illuminate the dark spots. I I just pray protection in Jesus' name over every human in this space. Um, And I pray that you would have your way in our hearts as we continue to learn how to walk in love with you, for you, and for the world. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missyodechicago.com.